And uh, I'm one of the pastors and elders here at Redemption Church. And um, once again, if you came this morning looking for Jeremy Carr, I'm sorry. Jeremy's our lead pastor, and he and his family are uh, on, in the process of coming home from Disney World. So they've been away for a little while and had a great time and um, dressing up as princesses and things like that. So um, that's okay. I'm going to pray for us, and, uh, and then we'll get moving from there. But let's pray. God, thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning. Um, God, thank you for the time we've already had to sing and be together and um, worship. And God, over the next few minutes as we continue to be together in our time of worship, as uh, we hear from your word here in just a second, God, as we take communion in a little while and sing and and do all these other things we're going to do, God, we pray that you would continue to move in our midst to draw our hearts and minds close to you. And God, specifically, I pray uh, as I... talk through your word here over the next few minutes, that you would use me simply as an instrument of your grace and mercy, an instrument of the gospel, an instrument of your love, that we would hear from you, and that we would hear good news from you this morning, God, but that we would also be motivated for action because of what you've done on our behalf, and God, I recognize fully that as I stand up here and talk, my words are pointless, God, unless they're your words, unless we hear from you. Unless your Holy Spirit moves to have us hear exactly what you would have us hear. So God, we pray that you would be at work, that you would draw us close to you. And God, we ask all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. So this morning we're going to be talking through 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you want to go ahead and turn there. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And if you were here last week, um, we talked through Luke 15, which is the story of the prodigal son, and a couple of other things. And... Um, where we closed our time together last week, it was with this, that our primary goal as the people of God should be to see the gospel go forth in advance. It should be our primary objective as a church. And so the question remains, how do we know if the gospel is advancing? How do we know if the gospel is going forth? And I would say the primary answer to that is, is pretty simple. We know that the gospel is advancing when the Great Commission is being fulfilled, when disciples are being made. We know that the gospel is advancing as we as a body of faith are loving God and loving our neighbor like Christ called us to do when he gave us the Great Commandment. Now those answers may seem oversimplified, but I don't think they are. I think it's pretty simple. We're making disciples or we're not. We're loving God or we're not. We're loving people or we're not. And there may be a variety of ways we can go about doing those things. There may be a variety of ways we can uh, determine whether we're succeeding at doing those things. But nonetheless, that's how we know if the gospel is advancing. Disciples are being made. People are being obedient to do what God has called us to do in loving God and loving our neighbor. So, the danger for all of us in this room, last week we encountered a danger as well. It's part of what the sermon was about. But the danger for us in this room is that we as a church might turn inward. And instead of prioritizing the advancement of the gospel, that we would turn inward and prioritize something else entirely. That we would prioritize something um, that meets our individual needs only rather than focusing on the advancement of the gospel, that we might turn inward and become selfish and focus only on what it takes to continue to be a church rather than what it takes to advance the gospel. You with me? That's a serious danger. 
And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. That's what brings us to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, we're going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. And then I'm going to read verses 12 through 31. It's a lot of verses, so hang in there. Follow along with me. Uh, it should be on the monitor for you as well. But 1 Corinthians 12, 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And then verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members... And all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unrepresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor, honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating in various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a still more excellent way. So... In chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, we have this amazing analogy that Paul uses to speak about the church as a body. At other parts of Scripture and other places, the church is referred to differently as a family, as a called-out group of individuals, as an army. But in this passage here, the church is referred to as a body. Now, it's an amazing analogy because we all have a body. Right? This analogy works across all times, all cultures, all languages. We all have a body. We get what Paul is talking about when he says um, that the church is a body composed of different members. It's an analogy that works for everybody. And, and you get the point, right? You get the point. It's pretty straightforward. That for us to accomplish some task, whatever that task may be, it requires more than just one part of our body. Right? You with me? Let me tell you about my Wednesdays. I pride myself on knowing where to get good food in Augusta. And if you want recommendations, I'll gladly give it to you. But if you want good street tacos, I think you should go to Me Reconcito in Grovetown. Anybody been there? It's excellent. I think if you want good pizza, you should go to Giuseppe's on Wheeler Road. You may disagree with me on that one, but it's the best pizza in Augusta. If you want good nachos... You should go to Nacho Mama's and get the stepdaddy nachos with mango habanero. Yeah? Yes, thank you. And 
if you want good barbecue, there's only one place to go in Augusta, and that's the barbecue barn in North Augusta. If you've never been there, they're not open today. They're only open on Wednesday through Saturday. And so on Wednesdays, you can ask my wife. She's in the nursery this morning. On Wednesdays, I wake up in the morning thinking about the barbecue barn. And it's because they're closed at the beginning of the week, right? So I think it's like it's a trick to make you look forward to Wednesdays. So I dream about barbecue on Tuesday nights. I wake up on Wednesday and I go to work and I sit at my desk or I do whatever I'm doing and all I can think about is barbecue. I'm counting down the hours till I can go to the barbecue barn. And when it's time to go to the barbecue barn, my stomach doesn't go by itself, right? My mind that's been dreaming and wishing and pining for barbecue barn with macaroni and cheese and collard greens, um, that's what you should get. My mind that's been dreaming about these things doesn't go there by itself. I have to get up from what I'm doing. I have to walk to my car. I have to get keys out of my pocket. I have to use my hands to crank up the car. I have to use my eyes, my feet. I drive a stick shift, so I have to use both feet, both arms, and I have to drive myself to the barbecue bar, and I have to get in. I have to pay, sit down, do all these things, right? It's not just my stomach. It's not just my mind that goes to the barbecue barn. Every Wednesday, I'll be there at noon. Feel free to come and join me. You can buy me lunch or I'll buy you lunch, but I'll be there. It takes an effort of my entire being to get me to the barbecue barn, but I'm going, right? When I wake up on Wednesdays, that's my objective for lunch. I'll show you my credit card statement. You can see it. Now, in all reality, that example is about me serving something, um, my own selfish desires, right? That example is about me getting barbecue into my stomach. And the passage that Paul lays out for us here in 1 Corinthians 12, it's bigger than us meeting something for ourselves. Are you with me? It's bigger than us serving ourselves. If you look back at verse 7, Paul says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. There are four things that we should notice very quickly about this verse. And the first is the word each to each is given. So uh, each one of us as a follower of Christ is given something. Second, the word spirit. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit. Um, That's God, right? The same God who created the universe, who created everything, joined in the creation of the universe. The spirit is at work to give us something. Third, the word manifestation, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. That's the outworking of the gifts that Paul is talking about here. It's the way that the Spirit is manifested in our lives. It's the Spirit becoming visible through us, right? It's us showing God through the manifestation of the gifts that he's given us. You with me on that? It's making God seen, and that's essentially what I think this whole section of Scripture is about, making God seen. Uh, And and essentially, that's what all of Scripture is about, making God seen as his word goes forth. And fourth, the phrase we have there is common good. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. That's a result of the manifestation of God the Spirit in the life of the church. Good comes to people, right? It's good for people to see God. It's good for us to see the manifestations of God's Spirit at work in each other's lives, by using this, the gifts that God has given us for the common good of the church. 
And so ultimately I would say that the gifts of the Spirit that Paul is referring to here, the, the manifestations of the Spirit as he calls it, ultimately those gifts are for the glory of God first and then for um, the good of the church. All right. So here's the big idea. When you walk out of here today, I want you to have this if you don't have anything else. The big idea that I want you to take away, the one thing I want you to remember above all else, it's from verse 7, I want you to take away the conclusion that you and I, as individuals, exist as a part of a greater body, the church, for a reason that is greater than our own benefit. Are you with me? The reason that God has placed us in the body of faith. The reason that God has done that is not just for our own benefit. It's for something much bigger than that. If you don't get anything else, at least take that idea away. And from this, I think we should draw the attitude that is a part of this church, if this is where we're members, or somewhere else, if that's where we happen to be, that our attitude should be certainly more about how we exist in the bigger picture for the common good than it is about how this church or some other church meets my needs personally. You with me? All right? So our attitude should be even more about how we can serve God by serving the church for the greater good through the gifts that God has given us. It should be about God's glory so that the gospel advance and so that disciples will be made. Right? And not everybody has this attitude. Right? It's, it's, it doesn't matter where you go. People who come to church, um, not everybody has this attitude. Just recently I was talking to someone who has left our church body and they now attend another church. And I sat down with this person at breakfast and I asked this person to just cut through all the peripherals. Don't give me any junk. Just tell me what it is that made you decide to go somewhere else. Let's just get down to brass tacks and let's talk about it. What's up? And their answer, when I walked away from this uh, meeting, I was both incredibly sad and downcast, and at the same time, uh, I was angry. Uh, it's because generally my reaction to things are to get angry. I mentioned that last week. But pretty much every reason this person gave for leaving centered around the fact that this church that they were a part of didn't do enough for them. The answer to every question I asked them was essentially, me, 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 you didn't do enough for me, and I'm at a place now that does things for me, and it's all about me. And over the next few days, because I'm an elder of Redemption Church and because I'm a leader here, I stepped back and I had to process this conversation, right? And for several nights in a row, I couldn't sleep. I mean, I honestly couldn't sleep. I would wake up and go sit on my couch and lay down and stare at the ceiling and process through this conversation we had because on one hand, I, I wonder, did we as a church do something wrong that caused this person to not feel like their needs were being melt, met that caused them to walk away, right? It's something to reflect on and consider. Oh, I'll sleep over it. And... Um, and, and, and the reason I lost sleep over it is because Jesus is clear that we should love one another, right? Jesus specifically says to his disciples, they'll all know you're my disciples by the love that you have for one another. And First John tells us that love for one another is a sign that we belong to Jesus. 
And over and over in his letters, Paul tells us to love one another and serve one another and bear one another's burdens and all these things. And so I had to sit there and reflect on where did we fail in accomplishing those things in such a way that this person felt that their needs weren't being met. You with me? And the longer I thought about it and the more I thought through, I realized that there are probably some ways in which we as a church have failed in loving one another. There's no doubt about that. And in those nighttime hours that I was awake, it brought me to a point of uh, repentance for some things um, for where I've failed in those areas. But at the same time, I came to the realization that the attitude of this person's heart was ultimately an attitude of selfishness. And apart from the work of the Holy Spirit in their life, this person would have gotten to that point regardless of what happened. And so we have this tension in the body of faith where we all need one another, right? I mean, that's, we need one another. And that's part of why the body exists, to love one another, to, um, to, to, to have a place of fellowship and to have friends to do life with. But we also need to realize that through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, God has saved us and set us apart for a purpose that is bigger than our own selfish desires when it comes to church. God did the work to save us. God did the work to set us apart. So God gets to decide what the purpose is. Fair enough. And so it's realizing, I think also, so, so anyway... So part of the reason, part of the purpose that God has set us apart as a body, joined us to a body, is for something bigger, for the advancement of the gospel. And it brings us to where we have to realize that the pursuit of God's glory through the advancement of the glory is the pursuit of our own good. Okay? Common good, pursuit of God's glory, advancement of the gospel. So moving on in verses 12 through 31, Paul focuses in on this analogy of the body. And there are four things that I want to talk through quickly. Four things I want you to notice. First is that Paul talks about the identity of the body. Paul talks about the unity of the body. Paul talks about specific threats to the body. And fourthly, Paul talks about service to the body. And so, essentially what Paul says at the very beginning in verse 12 and 13 is that we've all been baptized into the same spirit. Meaning... The same Holy Spirit is who um, brought us to a place of repentance and faith in Jesus Christ if we're there. So in essence, what he's saying is we all got to be believers the same way through the work of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't matter where we came from. He uses Jews, Greeks, slaves, free. It doesn't matter what our ethnicity is. It doesn't matter what our religious backgrounds is. It doesn't matter what our socioeconomic status is or anything else that we might use to identify ourselves. Paul is specific saying there's an identity given to you. We all share in it because it was given by the same Holy Spirit. We're all part of the body. We all have the same identity as children of God set apart for a purpose in his body. It is Christ who sets us apart as his own body known as the church. We don't get to decide our identity. Jesus has already done it. We're his followers. We're children of God, joint heirs with Christ, set apart for a purpose that is bigger than our own selfish needs. 
And so I want you to also see that in this passage, there is a call to unity. In verses 14 through 20, um, Paul talks about this body analogy. And Paul is getting at the fact that everybody's got to work together for the same purpose. The fact that unity, unity exists around Jesus, the fact that Christ is the one who set us apart as his own, and then because Christ has set us apart as his own, we work together for the same purpose that Christ has already defined. And for us, um, we've stated that that purpose is the advancement of the gospel, the making of disciples. What we can't have in this church, what no church can have, are single-issue voters. People who only say, I care about my thing. Because in reality, because Jesus gets to define the purpose, we need to care about bigger things. We can't say, I only care about my missional community, because we're all in this together for a bigger purpose. We can't say, I only care about my thing. It has to be bigger. And the unity that Paul is calling us to in this passage ultimately should develop around our diversity, right? To be the church means that there is unity but not uniformity, that there is diversity but there need not be division. We're not all the same. We do different things. We live in different places. We're at different stages of life. We have different concerns. When we walk out the door, but we were all set apart by Christ for a purpose, to be a part of his body for the advancement of the gospel. And if we're all just trying to see people meet Jesus, to see disciples made, to see the gospel advance, to see churches get planted, to see this church become glorious for God's glory, then we're all working together to make this the best possible church it can be for God's glory. Because of the joint identity we have, we have to work together to be the best family that we can be, to be the best body that we can be, so that we'll want to invite other people in to get to know Jesus and to be a part of our family. The cause of Jesus has to always be our highest priority, not our own desires, not our own needs, but the cause of Jesus. Ultimately, this can only be accomplished by the work of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit, I said, that set us apart as a Christian, that gave us the identity that we have. It's the Holy Spirit that gives us spiritual gifts. And it's the Holy Spirit that empowers us for ministry. And it's the Holy Spirit that keeps us focused on the mission of Jesus. Let me give you an example of this. This past October... I had the opportunity to do something that I've never done before. It was perhaps the hardest thing I've ever done. I ran a Spartan Beast race. I don't know if you know what a Spartan Beast is. It's like a tough mutter. It's 13.1 miles of hell, essentially. It's a cross-country um, mud run with tons of military-type obstacles. And I trained for a long time to be able to do this race. And you may look at me and think, but you look so athletic. Why did it take you so long to train? And I understand that. It's okay. But I trained for a long time for this race. And like I said, it was perhaps the most difficult thing I've ever done. And I remember standing at the starting line and being overwhelmed with fear. Just being absolutely scared to death and nervous 
and having no idea what I was in for. And they have these people on the, uh, like, uh, they're playing, I don't know if anybody knows this band, Dropkick Murphys, but they're playing Dropkick Murphy songs, and they're pumping you up, talking about how you're going to go defeat this course, and you're going to battle, and I am absolutely scared to death. And so I take off on this race, and um, over the next four and a half hours as I was on the course, I, you heard me right, four and a half hours. I began to notice some things about some people around me. My goal was just to finish the race. My only goal was to finish the race. And so I started, I started running, and I had four and a half hours, like I said, plenty of time to notice things about people around me. And so I'm out there on this course, and I'm, I'm running by myself. I'm all alone. I was there with a team of 30 other Acts 29 pastors. And yet I'm running this race by myself because I'm so athletic that I'm behind them. And um, I'm all by myself and I'm running. And, and I, as, the, as the race goes on, I start to notice that there are lots of people who are running the race as a group, right? So for, a lot, for about half the race, I ran with these four people who were a part of a um, CrossFit, shout out CrossFit gym, and they ran together, and they encouraged one another. And when they would get to obstacles, they would, help the, they would help each other over the obstacle. And they were singing these songs together, which was kind of weird. But they were singing these songs together, and they were running, and they were encouraging one another. And so, like, when I needed help, I just joined in with them and was like, guys, can you help me get over this eight-foot wall? Because it ain't going to happen. <laughs> um, and so there was something different about these folks as they were doing this race. I was just there to finish. They were actually having a good time. They had a common goal. They joined together to train. They joined together to complete the race. And as the race went on and I began to identify with these folks, the race got a little easier. You know what I'm saying? There was some great camaraderie that developed between me and these people, even though I have no idea who they are, haven't talked to them since that day. And when I crossed the finish line, there was a sense of great accomplishment, accomplishment because we had all met the common goal. We wanted to finish, and even more so, there was help along the way. Do you see where I'm going with this? I needed their help. I needed their encouragement. I would not have completed the race without their help. I may have completed the race, but I would have skipped some obstacles because I couldn't have done them on my own. At the beginning of the race, I didn't quite get it. I didn't realize it. It was me against the world, me against Spartan Beast. I'm going to do it. By the end of the race, I was incredibly grateful for the help that came from the camaraderie with these people. Now, this is not part of the sermon. March 9th, I'm doing another Spartan race in Atlanta. If anybody wants to join in, feel free. Um, we've already got a team together. And um, you should do it. All of you should do it. So let me know when you want to sign up, and we'll do that. But you see where I'm going. There was a common goal, a common purpose, and we were stronger when we worked together. It's pretty simple, right? And if we're all working together for the advancement of the gospel, then we're stronger for it. We're more effective for it. There's nothing that will hinder or destroy the advancement of the gospel more than disunity in the body of Christ. 
That's, you, you, can, you can write that down. You can quote me on that. There is nothing that will destroy the advancement of the gospel more than disunity within the body of Christ. For all working individually just to get our own needs met, we're not going to get far. We're not going to finish well. And in fact, it very well might destroy us as a church. But if we're working together for the advancement of the gospel, because that's the goal, that's the purpose that Christ has set us apart for, then we're stronger for it, we're more effective at it, as the Holy Spirit works in our midst to accomplish that. Paul also mentions specific threats to unity. Remember I said three, four things. Identity, um, the purpose of unity, and threats to unity. Uh, Paul mentions very specific threats to unity in the advancement of the gospel in verses 21 through 26. But essentially that threat comes in the form of parts of the body not realizing how important other parts of the body are. And in fact, it goes further than that, actually, uh, according to the uh, analogy that Paul, come, that Paul uses here. It's, it's, it's actually parts of the body looking at other parts of the body and, and going further than saying that part is useless. It's going far enough to say I don't need that part of the body. That part of the body isn't important to me. I don't need it, so I'm going to attack it. And um, that's, essentially, um, that's essentially spiritual cancer. Right? Cancer is a disease where parts of our body cells specifically divide and grow uncontrollably and begin to invade and attack other parts of the body. That's what cancer is. It's horrible. And that's essentially what Paul is talking about within the church. When members of the body fail to realize how significant other members of the body are and indeed go a step further and attack them, that's spiritual sickness. It's where we look around and say, only people like me need to be here. Only people who live where I do, who live like I do, who spend their free time doing what I do, they're the ones that need to be here. I am an ear, and I only want to be surrounded by ears, so all you know is, get out. I'm an ear, I only need one more, so uh, any other ears, y'all can, uh, y'all can join in, and we'll just be a big head of ears. But all you know is, get lost. We don't need you. But you see, that's spiritual cancer. That's spiritual sickness. It's a bad thing. I told you that back in October, I ran this Spartan Beast race. I came home, and two weeks later, there was a half marathon in Savannah. It was the Savannah Rock and Roll Half Marathon, and I had not signed up for it. And uh, I actually signed up for it on the last day that you could sign up for the marathon, a week, a week before it happened. And so um, I think I came home from church on a Sunday, signed up for the half marathon. And the following Saturday, I was in Savannah getting ready to run it. But the day before the marathon happened, the half marathon happened, I came down with the flu that's going around. So I was in Savannah with one, a friend of mine, uh, a couple of friends, staying at uh, another Axwayan pastor's house, and I came down with the flu. And so I went out on this Saturday morning to run the race. It was just 13.1 miles of running, no other obstacles, no nothing else, just half marathon. And I had a goal, because of all the training that I had done, that I was going to finish the half marathon in two hours and ten minutes. That was my goal, two hours and ten minutes. Because I had the flu, it took me much closer to three hours. I actually threw up on the course, 
and it was the most horrible experience of my life. Do you understand what I'm saying? But the sickness is what slowed me down and kept me from meeting the goal. Our goal, our purpose, is the advancement of the gospel. Sickness slowed me down. Sickness within the body of faith, disunity, members not recognizing the need for other people, for other members of the body. Spiritual cancer slows us down from meeting the goal. Right? Pretty clear. Here's reality. We need people like you and we need people unlike you. We need people like you, but if everybody was like you, that wouldn't be a good thing. If everybody was like me, that wouldn't be a good thing. We need to acknowledge and recognize in our church body that some people are really different than us, and that's okay. And if you're not careful, what we'll do is we'll start to think that people who are like me are holy and right, and people who are unlike me are unholy and not right. We need people like you, and we need people unlike you. And God has got a lot of diversity in his church, and he does so intentionally. Now, you might wish that more people were like you. And just so you know, you're the only person who thinks that way. (laughs) And what you're really saying is this. I want the church to reflect me. I don't want the church to reflect the diversity of Jesus and all the different parts of the body that he has put together for his own purposes. I want the church to reflect me, not what Jesus intended. And in the diversity of the church, we're reflecting the greatness of Jesus, and we want the church to reflect the fullness of Jesus, right? So that disciples are made, so the gospel advances. We reflect ourselves, that doesn't happen. God decided where you would fit, and here's why. It says in this passage that Jesus arranged the parts of the body the way he wants them. God decided where you would fit, and here's why. Because you're needed. We need people like you, and we need people unlike you. Do you know what someone with five heads is? It's a monster. We don't need five heads. We need one head. We need two hands. We need two arms. We need two feet. We need two legs. We need a pancreas. That's my role. We need an armpit, right? We need fingers, whatever. But we don't need... A monster. Jesus knew what he was doing, arranging all the parts of our body. Jesus knew, knows what he's doing when he's arranging all the parts of his church as a body. He gave you gifts and abilities. He gave other people gifts and abilities. And us using those gifts and abilities together as a manifestation of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives is what makes the advancement of the gospel happen some of you wonder why you're here and that's okay but you need to know that christ has placed you as a part of this body or somebody of faith for a purpose the greater purpose is that the gospel will advance specifically you have a role to play in the life of the church where god has placed you i can't tell you what that role is because i'm not god but god designed you Gave you purpose, gave you gifts and abilities, and placed you in a specific body of faith for the purpose of using those gifts for the greater good, for the common good of his body. 
And so that brings us to the last few verses about service to the body. And essentially in verses 27 through 31, Paul talks about gifts that are given to the body. And he mentions several things, um, prophesying and teaching and administrating and doing all those things. But the reason you're here is because God has gifted you along those lines in some way to serve his church. God has gifted you in some way. And the gifts he's given you are different than the gifts he's given me, and that's okay. But God has placed us here for a purpose, and we're all needed. You may be really good at teaching and understanding theology and preaching and understanding doctrine and wanting to talk about doctrine and all those things, and that's great. But that doesn't mean everybody has the same gifts that you have. If those are your gifts, great. Let's put them to work for the advancement of the gospel, for the good of the church. Maybe your gifts fall along other lines, serving people, loving people, comforting people, making sure they are taken care of by bringing them food when they're sick, or when they have babies, or watching their kids when they need a break, or whatever. Great. We need you. We need you for the good of the body, for the advancement of the gospel, so that God would be glorified. Some of you may be gifted in other ways, at really practical things, at audio and video stuff, at budgets and spreadsheets and whatever. But that's all good. It's needed for the common good of the body, for the advancement of the gospel, that God would be glorified. We're all needed. God has placed us here with a purpose, with gifts. We all have a role to play. And so the call on our life this morning is to actually make sure that we're playing a role. It's easy to sit back and do nothing in the life of a church. But that's not what God has called you to. God has gifted you. God has set you apart for a purpose. That purpose is the advancement of the gospel for the common good of the church body so that God would be glorified. So the call on your life this morning is to make sure you're actually playing the role using the gifts that God has set you apart for. And so I have to ask you the question, what part of the body are you? Where do you fit? Some of you may already know Some of you may say, I am a missional community leader, I'm doing my thing, or I want to be a missional community leader. Great. DNA group leader. Great. Deacon, elder, sound, light, video, music, setup, teardown, kids ministry, uh, standing out in the hallway, doing security. Maybe you are gifted in ways that we're not doing things yet. Student ministry, we don't do that very well yet. Other things like that. The list goes on and on and on and on in the way that you may be gifted. You know where you fit. Praise God. God's using you. We're thankful for you. And I mean that with all my heart. We're thankful. But for those of you who aren't using your gifts, for those of you who don't, who aren't playing the role that God has given you to play, why not? Why not? I'm going to be honest, and this isn't to hurt your feelings at all, but nobody of faith, not just this one, nobody of faith needs parasites. You know what a parasite is? It's a foreign body that lives maybe internally in another body just to feed off of it and to get from it. Nobody of faith needs that. Christ didn't design his body to be that way. When Christ saved you, he gave you an identity. When Christ saved you, he set you apart for his purpose. The advancement of the gospel for the common good. You have a role to play in the life of a church. 
What's that role? I can't tell you what it is. But I have to tell you that you don't exist in this body of faith merely for your own benefit. If God has brought you here, He's brought you here with a purpose. Part of that purpose certainly is to be loved by the other people present. But part of that purpose also is to love, is to serve, is to use your gifts so that the gospel will advance, so the disciples will be made, so that God will be glorified. God didn't create you and set you apart as his own to be a parasite and merely feed off his body. He set you aside as his own for a purpose. So I have to tell you, figure out what it is. Figure out where you fit and get to it. Okay? Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity we had to look through 1 Corinthians chapter 12 this morning. Thank you for the reminder that you are good, that you saved us, that you set us apart and you gave us an identity in your son Jesus because of his work on the cross. God, thank you for the reminder that you've set us apart for a purpose. God, that the gospel will advance, that disciples would be made. God, that you ultimately would be glorified. So God, over the next few minutes as we enter a time of reflection, I pray that you would work in our hearts and minds to remind us of those things. God, that you would bring us to a point of repentance, if that's where we need to be. God, that you would bring us to a point of action, if that's where we need to be. But ultimately, God, that you would continue to work in our hearts and minds in such a way that you would draw us close to you during this time. God, we ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So we're going to enter a time of response, like I said.